This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, uh, you know, the breaking news is that uh, Pat Robertson passed. He was 93 years old, and he, of course, was the founder of the CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. But there was plenty of controversy surrounding Pat Robinson. I, I was saying yesterday that, you know, it's amazing to me that we've been on like this sort of waiting and watching for former President Jimmy Carter, who's been in hospice for a long time, and, uh, you know, a, a number of people have passed since he's been on hospice. And I just, uh, I think he's amazing. I think there's absolutely something mir- miraculous about Jimmy Carter's story. Um, well, the FBI has made a decision what it's going to do because it doesn't want to be held in contempt. So it has decided it is going to give the paperwork that Congress has been asking for and allow the House Oversight Committee to view this document, which alleges that the uh, there was some criminal activity in the Biden family exchanges of money. The FBI is willing to allow all members of the House Oversight Committee to view the subpoena document that alleges President Biden was involved in a criminal bribery scheme the source familiar said all members of the panel would be able to view the document in question. An FBI-generated 1023 form in a secure location. So nobody knows where that skiff is going to be, but I'm sure there's numerous skiffs on Capitol Hill. Or they can just go to the FBI headquarters. So it's been confirmed by a couple of different news sources, including uh, Fox News. I'm, I'm, I was mad enough at Fox News before but now I'm really mad. I'm married, I'm, you know, mad because why are they going after Tucker Carlson? You know, why are they so hell-bent on keeping him off the air? You know, you, you really, it, it brings a lot of conspiracy theories into play, if you ask me. Like, they just are so serious about keeping Donald Trump out of this election and out of the White House. And they were fearful that he would, might get a fair shake on Tucker Carlson's show and now might get a fair shake on Tucker on Twitter, which is the show that premiered yesterday. I don't know if you could call it a premiere. It was like a 10-minute video. Um, but, you know, Fox is going after him for breach of contract. I mean, do they not understand how angry the audience is over his dismissal? They're going to exacerbate that by now making sure he has no place to go and is not going to be allowed to speak his mind 
at all. I, I don't understand how they can do that. I really don't. I don't think they can do it. But I think it's going to be a battle royale. And I can't wait, you know, to watch how this uh, goes down. Because I don't think Tucker Carlson is going to roll over and play dead. It's just not in his DNA any more than it's in Donald Trump's DNA, even though, oh boy, yeah, you know, he was notified that he's the target of an investigation. Now, why would you release that information? If you're going to indict him, indict him. You know, but why would you release the information that he is un, he is the target of an investigation? It's, it's just sometimes government's uh, behavior really makes you question if you have to be, you know, subhuman or have an IQ less than 30 to be in, the, in a position of power in this country anymore. It's just uh, frustrating to say the least, and anger-provoking to say. So, I, I don't know. You know, Chris Licht is out. Fox is out. They're all out. You know, nobody's watching cable news anymore. That's my um, reading of, of everything I'm seeing. And, of course, anecdotally, I can tell you I'm not. I'm just not. I couldn't even bring myself to watch the weekend programming, which I used to, you know, watch Mark Levin on Sunday night. I didn't, don't even bother doing that anymore. They're taking Steve Hinton off. Not that I really watched him other than the fact that it was like the lead in or the exit or something from the, the Mark Levin show on Sunday night. So I would occasionally see some of it, but now he's not going to be there. Uh, and, and I'm just trying to figure out like, what is the plan? What are these cable news networks um, are they just committing suicide? Are they so fearful of the election results that they all just decided they'll pull the plugs on themselves? I, I just don't know. But I can tell you this. It's good for talk radio. You know, and anything that's good for talk radio is good for me. So I'm not going to complain too much. I'm a, little, uh, I'm a little ticked off. I really am. Because this is, a, to me, a First Amendment issue. How do you tell somebody that, A, they have no right to speak, even though millions upon millions of people want to hear what they have to say. You know, does, does, uh, does that give the Fox Network the right to literally stop him from speaking? Because I don't know that he's making any money on this Twitter thing, right? I really don't. I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out how you make money on that platform, but uh, he put out his first edition of this Twitter show, Tucker on Twitter. Everybody loved it except Fox, you know. They responded by notifying his lawyers that he'd violated his still active contract with the network. Shortly after Carlson posted the first episode of his new show on Twitter, Fox News General Counsel Bernard Gugar sent a letter to Carlson's lawyers saying Carlson is in breach of his contract agreement. This evening, we were made aware of Mr. Tucker Carlson's appearance on Twitter in a video that lasted over 10 minutes. Pursuant to the terms of the agreement, Mr. Carlson's services shall be completely exclusive to Fox, the letter reads. It adds that Carlson's contract says he's prohibited from rendering services of any type whatsoever, whether over the internet via streaming or similar, similar distribution or other digital 
methods. You know, so in other words, sit down and shut up, Tucker. And they're willing to pay him big bucks to sit down and shut up. And I guess he decided it's not worth it. You know, he's not giving in in that manner. And so I give him credit because he's not taking this lying down. His lawyers said any legal action would violate his First Amendment rights. And Fox only exists because of freedom of speech. And now they want to take Tucker's right to speak freely away from him because he went on social media to share his thoughts on current events. You know, uh, this is a, you know, a saga that is so convoluted and so complicated that even people with law degrees can't figure it out. We'll ask Derek tomorrow, you know, what he thinks about this. Because, look, I understand what a non-compete is. And I understand that if Tucker Carlson signed a non-compete when he renewed his contract at Fox, that it'd be very difficult for him to pursue any kind of show. But does that mean he can't even talk on social media platforms? Does he lose the rights to TuckerCarlson.com, his website? Is he allowed to put a video of himself up on that website? This is really, you know, sidelining him is a terrible look for Fox News. And it was inevitable, right? Because, you know, they're just not acting in good faith. That's all I would say. And that's what this is all based on, right? You know, um, Fox benched him, and now they're complaining that he's trying to work. Restraint of trade laws work in a good faith context, but they fail when one party acts in bad faith. So I would say that this is... Uh, this is going to be a very interesting case. It probably will make it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Fox believes it's been working in good faith to reach an amicable agreement, which is a load of BS. You canceled his show, but you didn't fire him just so you could silence him. How is that working on good faith? One of the sources that was talking to uh, Axios said that he was told by a senior Fox News executive that the network's overarching goal is to keep him sidelined, for example, shut him up through the 2024 presidential election. And the irony is that this may ultimately end with silencing all of mainstream media. Because as soon as the ouster happened in April, Russell Brand, who's a kind of left-of-center commentator, predicted that it could just signal the beginning of the end for the legacy media if the former Fox News host were to reboot himself independently, which it looks like he has done. It's like the harbinger. You know, it's the beginning of the end for mainstream media because people are finding other ways of reaching their audience. And boy, oh boy, I'm, I'm just super excited. For right now, you know, the only quote, legitimate place that you can go is on the radio. And uh, I welcome aboard. If you didn't listen before, I'm, I'm thinking you're going to be listening now. And you're very welcome. We'll keep doing programming that's entertaining, that's information, um, that's newsworthy. 
and uh, and and the less people in that space, the better for us. That's all. You know, I I think that Fox doubling down on the worst decision that they ever made, which was of course letting Tucker Carlson go. Uh, now they've doubled down and they're going to try to silence him. I think this is just horrendous, and I think they will pay a very heavy price for this. You know, it's not just me that's not watching them. It's millions of Americans who have said, okay, you know, you made your choice. Now we're going to make ours. Man, when Rachel Maddow, when the mad cow is leading in the ratings at nine o'clock over Hannity and whatever the heck they put on on CNN, I don't even know what's on there. I don't think anybody knows. I don't think they know. When Rachel Maddow is number one, Cable news is not long for the world. That's all I'm going to say. And that's okay with me. You know, let, uh, let's go back to a day when you turned on your local network, your local ABC or CBS or NBC affiliate, and you heard all of the most important news. You know, you'll find out if there's a war and you'll find out uh, which politician got caught with their hand in the uh, cookie jar or with their hand in the you know, honey pot or whatever the appropriate colloquialism is, and uh, and you'll have enough. You'll get enough in a half an hour or maybe an hour maximum without this 24-hour-a-day onslaught of repetitive news designed to make you think in a particular manner about certain things and completely ignore other things, things that probably have way more relevance to your life than the stuff that they cover. So, uh, you know, Good for you, Tucker Carlson. Take them on. I think you got a lot of people behind you, which will make it a much easier task for him. Um, don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can participate in all of our contests, listen to our podcasts, and um, get streaming news. Get uh, You can listen to the show right on your phone. I keep telling people that's the way of the future. They may have you know, forestalled the uh, deletion of AM radio from vehicles. But the day will come when terrestrial radio is rendered null and void. And if you've got the app on your phone, we'll still be broadcasting and you'll still be able to hear the Joyce Kaufman Show and the, all of the other great programming that's available to you on talk radio, particularly on the AM band. So let me take a quick break. I will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, I know that um, everybody was feeling really sorry for me um, if they were watching the Heat game last night because I, I just, 
I don't understand. I don't understand why teams sometimes just seem to fall apart in the middle of the finals. Um, even though they, they, they were able to rally the game before away from home. They, last night they were home, and it was just, it was heartbreaking to me. Although you must admit that you look at some of these players and they are really unique. There is no question about the fact that Bam is a superb basketball player. So I was, you know, texting Derek. We text each other constantly through any of these games. You know, that's kind of like our, our bonding. And uh, I was texting him about the game. And at one point I said to him, like, why, you know, what kind of name is Bam? And um, and he his comment back to me, because Derek has a great sense of humor, his comment was, well, if you say it twice, it's uh, Barney Rubble's kid, you know, Bam Bam. And so I said, oh, that's interesting. And then, of course, I Googled it, right? And this is what I found. Bam Adebayo was born in Newark, New Jersey. Now that was shocking in and of itself. To a Nigerian Yoruba father and an African-American mother. As a child, he was given the nickname Bam Bam by his mother when, while watching the Flintstones at age one, he flipped over a coffee table in a manner similar to the show's character, Bam Bam Rubble. So, you know, in, even in his joking manner, he was right. You know, it had everything to do with the Flintstones. And I'm, I'm a big admirer, but Bam Bam versus the Joker? Last night was painful. It just was. And, you know, there's no taking, no denying that the Nuggets are a phenomenal team and they deserve um, victories. And they certainly... Um, won that game last night. And this Djokovic is extraordinary. I mean, this guy does everything. He's, he, he reminds me a lot of like a, a combination of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. I mean, he's got so much talent and he can go from one end of the court to the other at that height. He can dribble the ball and not get it stolen away from him, which I find absolutely amazing. But they, uh, they dismantled the heat last night. There's no two ways about it. And um, the coach made it perfectly clear that it, it was their, their game, their willingness to admit that they had made a mess of the previous game to win this game, to recommit themselves. And they got, a, you know, it was 109 to 94 in the final. And this Jokic, whatever, Nikola Jokic, um, had a lot of help. He had this Jamal Murray, who I don't think I ever paid any attention to, had a triple-double. He put up 34 points. He had 10 assists and 10 rebounds. This is the first time in NBA history, playoffs or regular season, that teammates had 30-point triple-doubles. Amazing. Jokic had it, and this Murray kid had it. Um, you can't. How do you win against that? I don't know that you can. Even the even the rookie, um, Christian Braun, who my husband <laughs> kept saying he's cockeyed. I had not heard the the term cockeyed in uh, uh, probably 
30 years. You know, that was a, a term that we used when I was a kid. Um, I, know, I don't think people are allowed to say that anymore. We're not, not allowed to call anybody cockeyed. We're not allowed to call them retarded. We're not allowed to call them this, that, and the other thing. But he kept saying it last night. And I got hysterical. I fell off the couch. It was that funny to me. I don't know about the rest of you, but I need sports these days to take my mind off of politics. And the NBA finals have proven to be about as exciting as anything, even though like my first choice team ended up losing, and now my second choice, first choice team is uh, struggling. They really are struggling, and, and, and I, I, I get it. You know, if you have to go up against a, a team like the Denver Nuggets, this is, um, this is the result. You can have close games, or you can have blowouts with the Nuggets blowing out the heat. So, you know, but I, I, I'm enjoying it. And, and I must admit, they had a beautiful rendition of the national anthem. I'm not familiar with this singer. She, I think her name was Namia or Namaya. Um, and she sounded so much like Whitney Houston that it was really startling. And the beautiful part of it was, you know, I'm all nervous that somebody's going to take a knee or somebody's going to not, not be respectful. They were so respectful, or at least the people that they put the camera on. Um, Jokic had his hand over his heart. Um, all of the Heat players that I saw were standing at attention and, and looked, uh, you know, they looked moved by her rendition. It was beautiful. She, she What a voice. I got to find out more about this young lady because... Um, she very much, uh, you know, Whitney Houston delivered a national anthem that was so incredible, as did Marvin Gaye, although they were very different. But this young lady definitely um, can sing, and it was, it was beautiful. And, and I enjoyed the game. I really did, even though I knew they were out of it by halftime. Um, I still, it's just amazing to watch some of these players. They're just, they're like from a different planet. You know, these are, these are extraordinary athletes. There's no question about it. And, and I, I, um, I must admit, if it weren't for the finals, I would probably go, be going through a real depression right now because all of the news is like, oh, the Donald Trump is, uh, you know, he's the target of the investigation. He's going to be indicted. Oh, the FBI had information on the Bidens, and, and Chris Christie is uh, sick of being fat-shamed. We'll lose some weight, buddy, you know. Um, it, it's all just terrible, terrible noise and just depressing. You know, Ukraine strikes back. I'm, I've had it up to here that, that Tucker Carlson 10 minute, um, preview or beginning of his Twitter show. Um, he talked about the Ukraine and I don't agree with Tucker on that, but I'm telling you when I look at what's going on over there and how many people have died, you know, it's amazing to me that, that we're not doing and talking about it all the time. Oh, and by the way, just in case anybody's wondering, I know you people concern yourself with everything, Joyce, that has to do with me, and I appreciate that. Um, all my family in Puerto Rico is okay, in spite of the fact that there was a 125-degree heat index yesterday. That's crazy hot. Um, and they had power shortages, so you know it's miserable. Hot, humid. Um, the town of Donato, which is in the northern end of the island, 
peaked at 125 degrees. Wow. So, but everybody in my family is okay. Hot, sweaty, drinking lots of water, but everybody's okay. All right, let me take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to be talking with an expert on China. And uh, I think it's about time that I devoted a little bit of my attention to what I think is one of the most incredibly looming big problems that America has and another story that we fail to pay enough attention to. So stay right where you are. I'll be right back. All right, and welcome back. As I promised, I have an expert on the line. But interestingly enough, Ashish Agarwal, my guest, is actually an antitrust specialist. And many of you um, who hear my son on the show every Friday uh, don't realize that that was his specialty in law school, um, not because he had some great passion for it, but because his advisors at Yale said you should go into antitrust. So I I have to assume that my guest is as smart as my son, which is very smart. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me on your show. And I, I need to be connected to your son at some point. Yeah, I'm telling you. Well, he he had a change of careers. He had originally went to work for Munger, Tolles, and Olson um, and as an antitrust specialist, and he found it extremely depressing to dismantle companies and put lots of people out of work. Um, and so he ended up, he is now the attorney for Harvey Levin and a stand-up comic at TMZ. So how's that for a career path? That sounds a lot more fun, quite frankly. <laughs> exactly. That's what he said. Um, but I, I have to ask you, you know, first and foremost, I don't know that much about the American Edge Project, which you are now affiliated with. Um, I do know that antitrust is a big issue there. And certainly when it comes to media and, and Internet, um, the rules don't seem to be the same for America as they are for China, do they? They don't. So the American Edge Project, it's a nonprofit designed to remind people how important technology and innovation are to America's you know, economic future, national security, and values. And it's just more important now than ever, um, you know, given that China is really posing a challenge to our global, global technological leadership. I don't know if you saw, Joyce, but just this morning, the Wall Street Journal ran a story about how China is giving Cuba billions of dollars to build an eavesdropping facility there. Yep, yep, I did read that. And so, you know, what we need, there are things that we can do, uh, you know, central policies that we can adopt to counter that threat. Um, you know, a lot of them are being driven by, you know, Governor DeSantis, Senator Rubio, former President Trump, and even President Biden. I give him credit, too, um, you know, to counter the threat. And there's some things that we should be doing at home as well. Yeah. And, you know, I guess my my main source of concern and I, I was laughing, you know, the other night I was uh, cruising the Internet and I stumbled upon an old Monty Python um, segment where they had they were meeting. It was like the communist uh, uh, quiz show and they had, you know, people per dressed up as Lenin and Marx and, and uh, Che Guevara. And, they, and it was hilarious, except that it was very prescient because they talked about, you know, how are the communists going to handle technology? And I, you know, I said, my goodness, you know, even comics understood the severity of the issues we're facing when it comes to technology and powers like China. So what do we do about it? I mean, how do we 
um, how do we uh, assert ourselves in this space? Well, you know, abroad there are a couple of things that we can do and are doing. The first is to you know stop the export of high-level technology like semiconductors to China. And thankfully, we are starting to do that along with our allies. We can also start to onshore and friendshore our supply chains so that we're no longer dependent on you know, Chinese products. One of the things China does very well is try to make other countries dependent on their technology. Um, I think the final thing that we can do is really try to support our domestic um, our domestic manufacturers and our innovators. And unfortunately, I think that's where we're falling a little short in Congress and the administration. Yeah. Well, who are the allies when it comes to big tech? I mean, you know, uh, we just sort of call it big tech, but it's, you know, it's Mark Zuckerberg at Meta, Facebook, and it's uh, uh, Jack Dorsey originally at Twitter, now Elon Musk. What are they, how are they positioning themselves when it comes to China? Because it seems to me they have separate rules for how they'll allow the Chinese people to interact on their platforms. Well, they they absolutely do. So, you know, if you talk about TikTok, for example, you know, the FBI director has, you know, said publicly that you know the Chinese government can use TikTok to surveil Americans, to you know, influence us, you know, our thinking, you know, depending on what they put out there with their algorithms. And so, how I think we need to respond is by making sure that we are as you know innovative as we can be, that we keep. Um, you know the financing flowing to our small companies as so they're able to so they're able to develop new technology so that we're investing you know in education and in some of these um, you know you know key market segments like quantum quantum computing and artificial intelligence. You know mm-hmm. there are studies right now um, finding that China is at parity or ahead of us in 37 out of 44 key segments of you know, technological innovation, and that China steals something on the order of $500 billion in intellectual property every year. Mm. And that that equates to trillions of dollars in economic value. And I don't think people are aware of that. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, just, just think already in the last year how, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, ChatGPT, BARD, and others are already starting – starting to reshape how how we work, how we communicate. And this is just, just step one. I mean, just imagine what it could be like five years from now. And if we were to fall behind, um, you know, the Chinese government in technology, that could give them a real advantage, you know, over the next century. So then, of course, I have to ask you the big question. What kind of regulation do you think government should be um, applying because we know, uh, you know, I'm a person who believes the less regulation, the more entrepreneurial spirit rises. But on the other hand, there are some real legitimate fears coming from some of these big tech leaders that we have to, we have to at least monitor what the innovators are doing. Well, you know, um, uh, in here, in here, I'll bring it back to antitrust law. I used to be at the federal trade commission and department of justice, but, um, you know, we've had a system that's really worked well for the past 40 years. It's, uh, you know, focused on, uh, you know, what's good for the consumer, not trying to pick winners and, winners and losers in the marketplace. It's this very bipartisan system that has led America's economy to become the most innovative in the world. And unfortunately, what some people, um, you know, in, in both parties and particularly in, you know, in Europe and elsewhere want to do 
is have the government come in and, you know, dictate which companies, uh, you know, how and what, when companies compete. And that's a mo- that, that is a recipe for stagnation. Mm. But some of these companies are so much, they're so large. I mean, when I, I had my daughter-in-law, um, the antitrust lawyer's wife, uh, worked for Meta as an attorney. And you're talking about a company that has, although they've had a lot of layoffs recently, that has a massive workforce. How do you, as a smaller company, compete with that in, in innovation? Well, you know what? Those smaller companies need larger companies, you know, quite frankly, like you know, a Meta and an Amazon, to be able to invest in them and help them grow. So if you think about something like you know, Instagram or WhatsApp or YouTube, um, these companies all started, uh, you know, just by a couple of innovators with real no, really no capital, no business plan. You know, YouTube started as a dating site, right. um, but it took the investment of larger companies to scale them, to provide technical expertise, and now those companies are some of the, you know, the most successful in the world. So, you know, we, we've had this you know, innovation ecosystem for, for 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 decades, and I'd really hate for Congress to you know, to cut it out from under its knees. So who are the lawmakers that are actually involved in this? I know that we now have a select committee on the, the strategic competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, I think it's a wonderful thing. So mm-hmm. um, you know, Representative Mike Gallagher and uh, Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy are, are sharing that. And it's really putting a spotlight on, on, on some of these issues, on the real kind of illegitimate ways in which, you know, China is competing and, you know, stealing IP and, you know, trying to make the world dependent on them. And, you know, as Americans, I just think we need to be aware of it. You know, our our openness is really one of our core strengths as a country, but it does create opportunities for authoritarian, you know, hostile authoritarian regimes to, uh, you know, to, to make some headway here. So I think the more we can shine a spotlight on it, the better. So you're okay with uh, Gallagher and uh, Krishnamurthy leading this uh, commission, you think, this committee, rather. Um, uh, do you think they understand it? Because, you know, sometimes I look at these hearings and I hear these uh, older representatives and senators, they don't understand the Internet at all. I mean, I have limited knowledge and I, I'm not as old as some of them. Uh, some of them sit there and, like, you know, they, they just – they. It, I don't think they have a grasp on what's really happening. Do these guys have a grasp? You know, I don't know that any of us have a complete picture of what um, the Chinese Communist Party is doing here. So you think about port security. Well, it turns out that you know a Chinese you know, government-affiliated company makes something like seventy percent of the of the cranes in the world, and we have intelligence indicating that you know the Chinese government is using those. You know those ports to surveil um, you know, our military movements and the movements of you know, of goods and cargo. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do. Uh, you know, you think about the Confucian Institutes, yeah. uh, where uh, you know Chinese money is going to institutions of higher education to try to influence what they teach. Um, I see the governor DeSantis has signed a bill to to, to target that. So you know, we we, we just don't really know the the, the the full scope of what's going on. So I think the more the more we can delve into it, the better. Yeah. Well, here in the state of Florida, we got uh, almost every person elected um, has focused on China from uh, our uh, senior senator, Marco Rubio, to our governor, uh, DeSantis. 
and you know, hopefully they'll drive some of the national conversation. Well, I definitely think that there's a role for you know the states, you know, as, as well. It really needs to be a, a team bipartisan effort, uh, you know, in Washington and the states. And we can certainly you know have good you know, conversations about what those policies should look like. But you know, a point I like to make is. You know, they're not having these conversations in China <laughs> because right. it's a one-party rule, mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever they decide goes. Whereas here, at least, we can have you know, intelligent conversations about, you know, the trade-offs and, you know, the importance of the First Amendment and you know, treating everybody equally and all, and all those sorts of things. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on with me today. Um, it was a eye-opening. There's some things that I, I am trying to catch up because there's, it's like playing whack-a-mole to do talk radio these days. Every day there's a story, um, a new story with a new twist. And sometimes I let uh, some of this technology stuff go by the wayside because I'm not that comfortable. I don't understand it. So at least you gave me an understanding of the challenges that we're facing. Thank you so much. I appreciate talking with you. Well, thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. All right. Well, that uh, leaves us with one one more segment in this program. Amazing, huh? How did time really flies? But uh, we'll take care of business and we'll be right back. Don't forget, at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro. At 5 o'clock, Matt Walsh, the WPTV News. At 6 o'clock, and then tomorrow morning to wrap up this week, um, Bill's back without Jen this week. She's on a, a mini vacation, but Bill and Stephen will be here. Um, to make sure you've got all the news that you need. I'll be right back. Yeah, so uh, the news is not particularly uh, appealing to most of us anymore. It's the same stuff, uh, just they kind of shuffle the emphasis um, from one website to the next. And I, I just, I'm, I'm just so frustrated because I, I really just want to know the, the real story. And I can't, you know, I have to go to nine different news gathering organizations to ever come up with the real story. And that's just frustrating. I'm sure that uh, most of you are experiencing the same thing. And I don't know if they realize it, but certainly these cable news stations that are all teetering on the brink of, uh, of the end of their uh, run, um, people are just not paying attention we're just not going to pay attention anymore because you're not meeting our needs. I didn't mention the uh, the crazy health warnings that are being issued all over the northeast uh, coast where these wildfires that I guess are in Canada have created, I, I mentioned yesterday that the city of New York was like bathed in an orange haze, which I thought was a good sign for the orange man. Um, but maybe not, because now the feds have said, uh, you know, that they are investigating, and therefore the odds are pretty good that they're planning on indicting the president, Donald Trump, because of his handling of classified information while he was out of office. Now, the point of a target letter is just to put the subject on notice that they are facing the prospect of indictment. 
the prosecutor in appropriate cases is encouraged to notify such a person a reasonable time before seeking an indictment in order to afford him or her an opportunity to testify before the grand jury. Now, President Trump has said over and over again that he did nothing wrong um, and that he is the victim of a weaponized Department of Justice and a weaponized FBI. And I don't think anybody can really argue that point because if it's Attorney General Merrick Garland or now um, the uh, Jack, what is his name, Jack Smith? I know it's, uh, yeah, Jack Smith, the special counsel. These are people who have a history of despising Donald Trump. And, you know, we know that President Biden had uh, documents that he had in his garage, you know, and documents that were in some, you know, college campus. And we don't see any uh, special counsel being assigned or any such thing. Um, only Trump. It's a, everybody is always uh, attacking and you know, you still got the case in New York City with 34 counts, although they're just repetitive of falsifying business records. And I, I don't, re I, I guess that the media still doesn't understand that the more they attack him, the more his supporters um, mobilize to defend him. You know, even those of us who may not be you know, pleased with some of the behavior or pleased with some of the content of his Twitter, what I guess it isn't Twitter, it's whatever his uh, truth social, you know, whatever he sends out, we wish he'd just like maybe uh, be quiet for a while and not go after every single person um, that declares they're in the candidacy. And, and you know, look, I, I don't think he should fat shame Chris Christie. I mean, you know, Mr. Donut Eating Chris Christie knows he's fat and so does everybody else. And I, I don't know, it's just, uh, it, it's just a waste of time and it focuses people's attention on those parts of Donald Trump's personality that, uh, that we don't like, you know. Um, the name calling, although there was some of the name calling back in 2016 that was actually quite fun and clever. Um, it gets old after a while. And so, but just knowing that he's received this letter and that the lawyers are planning to come after him again, doesn't make people like me who support him go, oh, well now I can't support him. It has almost the opposite effect. It, it has us mistrusting our own Department of Justice, our own FBI more and more and more, which is a terrible position for them to be in. You know, if you can't trust the Department of Justice and the FBI, then you're pretty much at the mercy of the entire world. You know, I haven't heard much about the CIA yet, but they're going to be cast with the same, they're going to be painted with the same brush. And that's a dangerous place to place America, you know, dangerous position to place us in, especially with what we just heard from Ashish Agarwal, that China is, uh, you know, way um, ahead of us in so many ways, because again, they don't have to worry about what information they're giving out. They, it's a one-party system. It's communism at its worst. And we're still trying to be a somewhat transparent republic, and it's getting harder and harder by the day. So we'll see. We'll see what happens, and uh, and we certainly understand that uh, that you're not going to defeat President Trump with these lawsuits. Just, that's not what's going to defeat him. 
Can he be defeated? Absolutely. But this, this is not the method that's going to work. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon to finish up this week. And of course, I, uh, I ask you to, um, to just uh, join me, all right? If it be his will and he delays his coming, I'll be on the air at 12 o'clock. Now may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.